like we did in Kings, you have Chronicles that fill in a lot of the gaps. So in Ephesians, we get a lot of gap filling or a little bit of gap filling, I guess we should say, because it's not a big amount. But Acts chapter 20. So if you got your Bibles and want to kind of flip to there, uh, that's where I want to be. So you can see what Paul's doing, because I think it's vital as he pauses in the beginning of this intro letter to his people and stops to pray. So if you look back at Ephesus and you look at Acts chapter 20 and, and even a little bit before, and you see what Paul's been doing. Paul tells us, like, I've been in Ephesus for a long time. I've been working with you guys for three and a half years. I've been weeping over you. I've been crying over you because I've invested into you. I don't know if you've ever invested into somebody, but it's like awesome when you've invested into them and you see them do good. You know, if it's somebody that you had been given a ride to and it's somebody that you have been, you know, if you a mama and you've been grabbing a body here and dragging them to church for all those years, it's a good thing when they get up and want to come to church on their own. Um, you know, if you were the, the jerk that would pull up at somebody's house and lay on the horn until they came outside to get in your car so that you'd give them a ride, it's a good thing when you see their car in the parking lot on their own. Um, you know, so what Paul is writing is, guys, I've cried over you. I've weeped over you for three and a half years. I know you're in a wicked city. You know, we talked about how evil and perverted the city was. But Paul was effective in planting the seed. P.S. Me and Jeremiah talked, uh, I guess it was Thursday right at the men's group. So much of what's going on in men's group on Acts and the parable. I mean, Matthew 13 in the parables is seen in Ephesians. And I don't think that's by accident. Uh, so just just throwing that out there for you. But here's what he says. In Acts chapter 20, says, after three and a half years of weeping and prevailing and crying, he says this, after my departure. So he's saying, I got to leave. Anybody, you know, he, he's a church planner, so of course he's going to leave. After my departure, grievous wolves will come in, devouring the sheep of God. But I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all that are sanctified. Then he goes on and he tells the pastor of the church who's left there. He says, you better feed the flock of God of which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer of. What Paul is doing and why it's so important to see what he's doing as he writes this letter to this church, he's setting up a system for them to be able to be sustained. So you could call this this just this beginning, like a system to sustain. If you don't have a system to sustain, I don't care what you build, it ain't going to last. Does that make sense? Do we understand that? You're wasting your time if you didn't develop a system to sustain what you built. So Paul says, I'm not going to leave you without giving you a system to sustain what I've built. You know, I've, I've nurtured you. I've birthed you. I've, I've done this. Now, understand, I know Paul has done this through the leadership of Christ. I'm not taking that away. But when you've invested into somebody a lot, you begin to take ownership of it. You, you, you ever, I don't know if any of you got any spiritual kids. Uh, you love them in, in, in a different way. But, man, they're kind of like your real kids. You know, there, there's something about that connection that you have with them and, and you watch them go through it. And I guess you could say it this way, because we get so caught up on on the right thing in the beginning. You can get married, but if you ain't got a system to sustain it, you could have a baby. But if you ain't got a system to sustain it, hmm, you're in for a lot more headaches than you were. You know, we get, I guess we we get so caught up on talent in the church. We forget about having a system to sustain it. You could have all the talent in the world, but if you ain't developed the system to sustain it, that talent's going to crumble. You know what I'm saying? Like even in how we pick up stuff. So go back to that first example of of marriage. You can be a beautiful beautiful bride, but a horrible wife. And don't you laugh, men, because you can be an awesome dude and a terrible husband. But we don't develop systems to sustain stuff. You know, think think about young teenage love. They get they get so caught up so quick, and and, and not not that I'm against young teenage love. I think it's great, right? 
you know, you know, I tell people all the time, like the only mistake I made and, and the only thing I would change about my wife is I wish I'd have met her earlier and got married earlier. Like why waste all that time on other people? You know what I'm saying? Once you, once you get the right one. But young people, when they fall in love, they make this mistake because they think like they don't have a system to sustain. You know, I, I love old Billy Joe because he got good biceps and he played on the football team and he's handsome and all this good stuff. If Billy Joe ain't got a job, your house ain't going to be sustained. Right? And you can think she's the most gorgeous thing in the world, but if she dumb as a box of rocks, you're going to get sick of it after some time. Right? You could almost say when the lights go down, it don't matter about some stuff as long as you have a system to sustain it. Am I right? Huh? I'm going to leave it right there because my wife will really get mad if I go further than what my mind had just now went. So y'all just know where I was. Some of y'all were there with me and it's all right. We got upper room. We'll share it in the upper room on Wednesday, man. Huh? Paul has now left Ephesus and he's writing back. He's checking on me. He's making sure that these wolves that he talked about in Acts chapter 20, he's making sure these wolves haven't devoured the flock. He's making sure the pastor has fed the flock like he was told to. And the most important thing he's doing, which he starts right here in this chapter with, it is making sure the Holy Spirit has sustained them. Because he knows that at the very beginning, it don't matter how much feeding the pastor did, it don't matter how much attacking the wolves did, if they ain't got the Holy Spirit system to sustain it, it ain't going to last. You know what I'm saying? So as he jumps into this thing, and he jumps into Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 15 where we are today. If you missed the first 14, check it out online. Fill yourself in before you get too far behind, right? But verse 15, here's what he says. Look at it. I love it. This is why, since I heard about your faith in Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, this is why I'm proud of you. You see what he's saying? Like he's invested into them. He started this thing. And here's what he says. I've been hearing about your faith and your love. Church, I don't know who planted some seed in you and I don't know who got you going and I don't know where all you've been in life. But his word made it back to them that you got some faith and love that you exhibited and that made them a little excited. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I get all, even though she's the principal slash Miss Beth at the school and all that, I, I still get giddy when she wants to feed my head with lies about how wonderful they are. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, but on the inside, as a daddy, I'm like, they're doing something right. You know what I'm saying? Their mama must have taught them well. Right? So, so you, you, you got that going. But here's what we need to make sure we understand. When somebody's invested spiritually into you, they deserve to get to hear about it later. Then you can say, oh, that ain't right. That is right. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody's put that much work into, into developing you and planted that much seed and till some soil or through the sunlight or through the water or, or, or whatever it was to get that seed started going and all. Man, they deserve to hear about it. And Paul stops in the middle of this thing. Here's what I love, man. He's in the middle of like this deep theological thing. You know, if you were there with us last week, like we predestined, I'm surprised so many of y'all are still back after talking about predestination in Baptist church. That's just like scary, right? So like, like he, he's gone through all that and then he just stops. He's like, I'm so proud of you guys. I've been hearing about the faith and the love of you guys. Have you ever stopped somebody dead in their tracks because of your love and your faith? Now understand this. Faith and love are not the evidence. Right? I'll make sure I get this right. Faith and love do not earn you the participation to get involved. Faith and love are the evidence that you're already involved. We, we need to make sure we get that order right. Because you can think you love it and you have it enough faith so that you can get involved in God's stuff. God's saying, no, that faith and that love is evidence that I'm already working through you and using you. And Paul says, man, I, I love it. 
because I've been hearing about your faith and your love. And look at what he says, man. This, this is so awesome. This will crush your toe if you actually realize what he's saying. He says, what I've saw and what I've heard about is your love for all the saints. Now, Paul writing this deep theological letter now back to a church that we know Abba is the daddy of. And he don't say what's blown my mind is your love for God. What does he say? He said, what stopped me dead in my tracks and blowing my mind is your love for all the people in the church. So what does that mean? Now, now is Paul saying that the love of, of the Lord isn't it? No, he's not saying that. He's saying, but if you claim to have the love of God, but yet you can't love your brothers and sisters in the church, you got problems. He's saying there's no evidence of what's actually going on. There's no system of the Holy Spirit to sustain the walk you're going to have to go through. So what he's saying, and he says the same thing that Jesus says. I don't know if you guys remember that. When he looks back, he says, people will know that you love me because you love. Because you cut their grass when they got COVID. Because you brought them food. Who brought them food? Like, you know what? I'm not saying like you dive in there with it, but why do you want to knock on the door and bring food into a COVID house? Because of love. You know what I'm saying? Like, love just surpasses the understanding. Like, you just go goo in the head. Right? Best thing. I might solve the doors. It was safe, right? Right, but not, not in your natural thinking. Because that's not the way it works. But then supernatural thinking, a system to sustain, you walk right on by and you just love them. It's a love that people can see. Church, I'm tearing out the world outside. can't see us loving one another in here. They'll never think we love them out there. And that's what Paul's getting all giddy about in the beginning of this thing. He says, my goodness, your faith and your love for one another is just it's, it's. And he's sitting in jail. Don't forget that from last week's intro. So he's sitting in jail writing about this. And he's got to stop and be like, dang, these criminals coming up in here with me. is talking about the love and grace of the church I started. Right. Like, that's some awesomeness. All right. We, I can stay on 15 long, but. Y'all already got a lot of pages to go through, right? Verse 16, warning. Here's what it says, making mention of you in my prayers. I just want to point out that, like, we got to do more than preach to people. We got to pray for people. Because I think sometimes, especially maybe in the South, whatever we want to call the Bible Belt, we get this idea that we should just preach at people all the time. And I'm not saying some people don't deserve some good preaching at them, right? But Paul says, I'm going to stop right now just to pray for you. And Paul says this in all his letters multiple times. When he writes to Corinthians, he says, guys, I stopped to pray for you. When he writes to Thessalonians, he said, guys, I stopped to pray for you. When he writes uh, 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 Timothy about Philemon and he writes Philemon about Timothy and, and he says, I, I stopped to pray for all you guys. Like he was just big into praying for people. And, and it's awesome. Because sometimes it's our prayers for spiritual growth that will enlighten others to understand what they need to understand to get to the next level. And that's what Paul is doing right now. He he's writing this church and he's saying, guys, I've understood that you you're on the right track. But I want to keep praying for you because I know where you live. I know how bad the area is. Right. So right in the beginning of this thing, Paul pauses this theological instruction and, and he breaks out into a prayer about what? A prayer about spiritual sight. Maybe you can say it this way. How you see it decides if you can get it. When you're thinking about the gospel, think about that. How you see it decides if you can get it right. Right. So if you were here last week, we, we were talking about Paul and. In the first part of this chapter, and he drops all these theological bombs and he's going to drop some more in chapter two. Don't get me wrong. Right. But he says, there's no need for me to keep dropping all these spiritual bombs, all these theological things. If they're not going to get it. Kind of like what we talked about with the parable of the sower and the seed this past Wednesday in the men's group. Like, like you can scatter seed all day long, but if the soil ain't ready to take it in. What is the seed going to do? And Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. You said, I tell you what's going to happen. Birds is going to fly by and pick up the seed. Weeds is going to choke it out. Rocks is not going to let it get deep enough. And even those that begin to have a little bit of good soil, if they're not nurtured the right way, they're going to die too. 
Right. So so Paul says, man, I, I understand this. He, he, he's enlightened. He's got a system to sustain him as a church developer. And he says, I got to stop. And I got to pray for the most important thing, because the most important thing isn't that you think what I say is cool. And the most important thing isn't that, that you get all emotional and, and googly gaga with all that stuff going on inside of you. Not that God can't use that stuff, but that's not the most important thing. He says the most important thing is that you open your eyes to see spiritually the same way the Lord lines up with, with what he's telling us to do. Right. And anything less than that is not sufficient. So he says, God, I want you to grant spiritual sight. Look at 17 and 18 women. 17 and 18. He says, I pray. That the Lord. Jesus Christ, the glorious father, Abba, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He says, I'm praying that you guys get smart. He is. I'm telling you, that's what he's saying. Like, I'm praying that you get some, you get some smarts about you, man. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is Paul not praying for? He's not praying for any carnal stuff. He's not praying that they'll have an easy life. He's not praying that they'll get some cool new horses or some fancy new sandals to walk around in. He's not he's not praying about any of that. What's he what's he praying about? He's praying that you get the spirit of wisdom. That God may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. Look at what he values, because what you value has a lot to do with what comes out of you. Right. Your value system determines all that kind of stuff. Right. So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I want you to get the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Did you know your understanding even had eyes? I, I wrote that down this week. All kidding aside, I was, I was reading, you know, I read a bunch of translations. I'll tell you guys that all the time. Right. So, so I'm reading one of them and that's how they word it. The eyes of your understanding. And I wrote down like, I didn't even know understanding had eyes. Right. So what does that mean? It must mean, it must mean something a little deeper, right? It means that if your understanding is blind, your perception to the situation is messed up. Right. You know, you, you can see something, but if you don't understand it right, it'll mess you up in, in both good ways and bad ways. Right. So like you can if you don't see yourself worth, you're dependent on somebody else to tell you about it. Right. Your, your understanding is blinded right there. Right. So you can have outer eyes to see everything. But if you don't have the inner eyes, which is what Paul's praying about, inner spiritual eyes. You're going to depend on somebody else to tell you what's valuable in life. You're going to depend on somebody else to tell you what matters in Scripture. You're going to depend on somebody else to enlighten you. So Paul says, I want the understanding eye, your eyes of the understanding, to be enlightened so that you can get it and understand it, right? No, you said it's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you understand what happens to you that matters. You ever notice like people who go through something and you scratch your head, you're like, there's no way I could ever go through what they're going through. But they're going through it all right. It's because they had a better understanding of why what happened to them happened to them. Right. They, they saw the same thing you saw. It's just their understanding about it was different. So it's what you understand about. It. If you don't understand it, if you don't perceive it correctly, part of the problem is you're going to be destined to repeat it. Because if you thought it was good, you're going to do it again. Or if you didn't see it as bad as it was, you're going to do it again. Everybody who's in the same place don't see the same thing. Right. A, a couple of y'all that stayed after for the for the. um. Volunteer thing last Sunday. Like I, I sent out a couple of random texts like, hey, how'd you think it went? Like, well, what you think? That wasn't because I, I do value your opinion, but that wasn't the sole thing. The sole thing was to see like, hey, did you understand what's going on? Right. 
Because we can all sit in the meet, we can all sit in church all day long. But if we don't really understand what's going on, we just wasted an hour and a half. Some of y'all think it's two and a half sometimes, Pastor. Well, sometimes you need a little more. You know what I'm saying, right? How you see it determines whether you can be it is what I just said. So, so this is huge, right? This is huge. Because understanding is the truth you stand under. I put this up there this morning, right? And, and if the truth you stand under isn't true, you're standing on a lie. Right? Which means like some of you have been standing on a lie for like a really long time. And I, and I just want to ask it this way. How many years of agony you've been going through because you stood on a lie? And it ain't even got to be a spiritual thing because because the devil will take a real life thing and he'll jumble up your perception of it to mess up you spiritually. Right. Some of y'all think like your mom or your daddy didn't love you for so long and, and, and it messed up a lot of your upbringing in your life. And then you understand, man, my mom and dad really did love me. They just treated me that way because they were trying to train me up the right way. Right. Or because we just didn't have what I thought we had or your understanding is different. Right. Like you just thought like they didn't buy you stuff because they didn't love you. Like they didn't buy you stuff because they was broke. Right? The time wasn't there. The, the ability wasn't there, right? I remember, I remember a big one for me I'll share with you. Like I thought my grief and hatred towards somebody who did me wrong for 10 years was getting them mad. I thought I was getting them. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm glad I'm getting them before they get me again. That's, that's my mindset. 10 years, Lord slaps me harder than I ever been slapped in my whole life. I researched to find this fella's number. Call him and he didn't give a lick. Tell the Lord to call. Tell, get the Lord to tell you to call somebody you've hated. I don't know if I've ever hated anybody. To be honest with you guys, other than this one moment in life. Seriously, I ain't even sugarcoating, right? Hated ten years of life, and you call and you make this good. I mean, a good speech, man. I even wrote it out. I'm telling you, I had because it was a phone call, so I had it right there. I was like, I'm not gonna mess this up. And you expecting like a breakdown on the other end of the phone and you hear, oh, man, what? No big deal. I ain't even thought about it. You still live in Somerville because I can drive there and still wipe the floor with you. I promise. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where it was. But that was the devil trying to get me again. Right. But my perception, I let it mess up a long period of time thinking it was doing something. It wasn't doing nothing but tearing me up. Right. How often, guys, do we go through agony because our perception has been messed up? Rather than just call and talk about it. Some of y'all right now got problems in your marriages and your, in your houses because your perception was all and you just ain't had the audacity to talk to one another about it. Seriously, if you would just talk about it, things would probably be solved and you'd be rolling on. Things, same thing. Some of y'all hate work because your perception's off and you got no idea why. And you, you just ain't talked about it. That's it. Open it up. Make sure you see it. So so I guess you could say this. I'm going to do what Paul's doing. I'm going to challenge you. To make sure you understand the things that have affected the outcome of your life. Because if the things that have affected the outcome of your life are understood wrongly, you need to have your eyes open to spiritual enlightenment. Right? And that's where he's going to go. So, so he takes this, and, and what we do, unfortunately, is we take that bad understanding and we lock it up deep down inside, and we just let it eat us away for, for longer and longer and longer. But Paul is right. Think about who's writing this letter, by the way. Let me just stop right over here. A little, little extra intro. You realize Paul's who's writing this letter? What did Paul do before the Damascus road? What was Paul doing? Let's see. I mean, I really study Acts. What was Paul doing on the way to Damascus? He getting ready to go killing some Christians. Right? That's what he was doing. Now, I don't know how bad you think you are. Right? As far as spiritually. But he's on the way to kill God's people. And God knocks him off his high horse. 
Sometimes God needs to knock you off your beast to get you on your feet. Right? So, 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 so he knocks him off. What happens to Paul? No, no, think about the story. You know what happened? He's blinded. He's blinded. Now, there's a lot of evidence that tells us he never recovered his sight all the way. The thorn in his flesh may have still been some some messed up visions. And this is the dude who's talking about the most important thing you can get is spiritual eye openness. He may be blind himself right in this jail cell. Right. Writing to them about having their eyes open. Because he could see great. He was leading people, by the way. He had an entourage of men behind him going to kill these Christians. You ever notice when your perception is wrong, what is wrong is right, what is right is wrong? Right? Paul thought he was going to do the work of the Lord. I'm going to go kill them all just for Jesus, right? He thought he was doing the work of the Lord, but he was so wrong. So, so then he totally has to change. And, 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 and remember who had to lead him the rest of the way, by the way? Y'all remember? It was his friends that he was leading. So sometimes you got to get knocked off your high horse. So those that you are leading can then lead you. I tell you why I love Wednesday nights, man. Getting to have another man open the Bible and start leading, getting to have open discussion and see where you guys are at. You guys may be leading me eventually, right? To get into certain areas and stuff. I may have my eye. Wow, I didn't realize that. Boom. That's where Paul's at. And Paul is going through this thing. He's on a mission that fails because God causes it to fail. Right. Sometimes failure can be a a blessing. Right. Maybe you could say, like, just to keep all the F's going together, failure is is, is like a favor to you. Because because he gets knocked down, his plans totally get changed. Right. And then he begins to talk about this light for a long period of time. Now, here's what you guys got. You got to make sure you get this right. The light that you're already walking in. When you first become a believer, you've been in church your whole life or wherever you are, right? The light that you're walking in, it seems pretty bright, doesn't it? Until a greater light comes on. Right? So Paul is already in light. He can see. He's walking. He, I mean, he gives you his criteria about when he was circumcised and what he memorized and, and how he was brought. I mean, he, he's got the job resume down. He's in light. But then this greater light comes on. And what does he say? But he says, uh, well, he doesn't say it, but but David writes what? Yeah, he's going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In order for there to be a shadow, a greater light's got to overwhelm a lesser light. Am I right? Scientifically. So it's safe to say you could be walking in light and God can bring up a greater light to cast some shadows on some stuff. I say that because as Paul's writing to the Ephesians, I think he's writing to the early church as a as a giant hole. And he's saying sometimes a lot of you guys are going to get a little bit of light cut on, but you're going to need the greater light. To shadow out some of the stuff that you thought was good light. Right. And that's what he's writing. He goes, I want I want to get this thing right. And I didn't even mean to stay on Paul long, but I just need to make sure I understand. like humility is a sign of conversion, because what Paul does right after that, he says, I'm willing to give up the light I had. For the light that you're going to put inside of me. He says, I'm willing to change everything. Instantly. He says, well, I'll be going the wrong way. I'm going to turn it around, right? Maybe you, you can say it this way. He got some insight instead of eyesight. Right? Which, which is, we, we need that. We need that inner sight instead of that, that outer sight. You can say, Paul's saying like, man, I, insight straightened me out. Insight birthed my ministry. Insight started my career. Insight allowed me to write more in the New Testament than anybody else. Insight is better than eyesight. Which I think is vital because I think there's a lot of people that come into church with 20-20 vision and they got good eyesight, but they got no insight. 
And as Paul writes this part and he he gets this, he goes, I want your inner eye to be opened up so that you can understand what the hope of your calling. The riches of your inheritance. He's not praying about who's president. He's not praying about what the president's doing. He's not mad because of, of the leadership and what they're doing. He's not praying about circumstances or none of that. He's saying what's going on in the world isn't your problem. What's going on inside of you is your problem. Now, that's a big one for right now. Am I right? Because how many of us whine every day about what's going on in the world, yet we don't care about what's going on inside of us? Paul didn't talk about none of what was going on outside. He didn't say, man, I know you got whores and prostitutes all around you everywhere you go. I, I know you got false teaching everywhere you go. I know those wolves that I talked about in Acts. I know they're all around you. I know you're being attacked. I know you're being punished. I know you're being picked on. I know leadership is bad. And I know the, the leader of Rome right now is just bad. And he didn't go into none of that. He said, your problem is what's going on inside of y'all. What's going to sustain you for the mission you've got, the calling you've got, the inheritance you've got, is an enlightenment of, of opening your inner eye to see what's going on. But we quick to want to blame other people, right? Oh, I could have did so much more if you had helped me. I could have been better if you'd have been a better partner. Right? I could have done this. We're quick to blame on the outside instead of worrying about what's going on in us. Hmm? I pray that you get your head on straight is what Paul's really saying. That's my translation of it. Right. I want you to understand what what he created you for. Let me ask you this. When he says that the hope of your calling. Right. If you don't know what your calling is, how can you know if God's successful? That makes sense. He says, I want you to understand the hope of your calling. If you don't know what God created you for, how do you know if God's successful in what he's doing? Is that a fair? Because some of y'all like you're really successful at stuff you ain't supposed to be doing. So then what does that mean? Based in his time and your time. Right. What did God hope for when he made you? That's the way you could write it down. That's how I wrote that down this way. What, what, what did God hope for when he made me? I don't want to be successful doing something I wasn't created to do. I wanted to be deeper than that. Right. So Paul stops and he prays for them that the spirit of God would reveal the hope of their calling. That they would understand like he made them as vessels. And why would God make an empty vessel if he wasn't going to fill it with something? So he says the hope of the calling is that the Holy Spirit would get inside of you, open your eyes to see from the inside out that it's not enough to know the facts in your mind without having the reality of reality of it in your heart. Now, in the Greek, th- this would go even deeper for us. It, it, it may, maybe it doesn't because we, we use one word. But in the Greek, there's two words for knowledge. The first word used for knowledge throughout a lot of Paul's letters and, and other areas in the New Testament is odea, which refers to like facts. You know, so like I can tell you, like, I know Columbia is the capital of South Carolina. I know that 256 uh, square root of 16. I know that the little tiny thing on the end of your shoelaces is, is called an aglet. You're like, I know all that because I Googled it last night and found all those facts for you. Um, so like, like Google will give you a lot of knowledge of facts. Right. But the word he uses here is genosico. Which, which is this. Now, you men, you're really going to love this, right? Huh? It's a personal felt knowledge through experience. Right? I got some crumble cookies this week. I might, Odea, know that crumble cookies are made of sugar and, and like baby angel nectar. Like I know that's what's in them. Right? And I, I could have called and told Angie that, but instead I sent a cookie home with Jeremiah for her. And then she texted me, oh my goodness. Right? So she experienced it. She got some I can't even say these other words. We're just going to go with experience and know. Is that right? Y'all good with me? I can't speak English, more or less Greek. So right, so, so, so you might know that a parachute works, and you might be able to study how it works. But have you ever talked to somebody who went skydiving? 
Right. You know it. They've experienced it. I might have knew my wife was pregnant. Not now. I will go back to the old ways in. I don't care about the con. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I might know that she, she was pregnant, but there's nothing like holding that first child in your hands. You see the difference? Some things got to be experienced before you could go. The reason I say you men are like it, this is the same word that feeds off of the Old Testament and they knew each other. Now, y'all know what I'm saying, right? It says that they got married and they knew each other. They didn't get married and sit down and find out each other's facts about themselves. Hey, baby, what's your favorite color? You know, what's your favorite shape? What's your favorite book you've been reading? They experienced each other. You know what I'm saying? If not, I will keep going for I don't care about getting in trouble. Y'all don't understand. Like I stay in trouble at my house. It ain't no big deal. Right. Huh? I'll throw things out there to make your kids ask questions. So you got to open the book with them. You know, on purpose. It ain't even going to hurt my feelings that I did it for you. Right. I will start it. In Hebrew, they experienced one another. They felt one another. It's deep within their soul. It's deeper than just knowing about something. It's experiencing. So what Paul is saying is when God grants spiritual sight to us, the doctrines of the gospel that we understood with our mind now bust out with sweetness because we feel them on the inside. Now, if you've never had that happen, you don't know what Paul's really writing about. But you can get hungry for it by hearing him write about it that way, right? He says, I want them to be real. I want them to be personal. And I want them to be felt. You know, it's sad and that it's even possible that you can be around Jesus for a long period of time, maybe even your entire lifetime and not really know it. They talk about some of some of Billy Graham's stats about how many people in the in the church is lost and and all that right there. And, and, and that makes me sad. But I think about Judas, to be honest with you, I think about all of this. Deeply involved with Jesus for three years, had all good intentions, had the best preaching you could get. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you can't get no better preaching than hanging around Jesus all day long. Right. Yet he didn't experience in his heart. The true feeling and the true knowledge of what was going to happen. Right. How many of us. Been in church our whole life, yet our eyes ain't been open to see a true trust in Christ. I would say almost all of our spiritual problems come from a lack of sight. Because what you know with your mind has never been felt with your heart. Right. We got a lot of head knowledge, but we don't have no heart knowledge. And that messes us up. So, so I want you to ask yourself a couple questions right here. Kind of pause and do a little spirit, do a little eyesight, eyesight test. How about that? Right. Do you feel dry spiritually? Ever. Right now, this week, last week, last month, 30 days. Don't shout it out loud. People will judge you. Are you cold? Do you feel like something's missing? Do you feel like there should be more? Are you upset that this is what you thought you were looking for? Think about all that, right? And I would say this, what you know here hasn't made it here. And that's scary sometimes because if it don't make its way down, you ain't got a system to sustain you is what Paul says. You talk about people who who fall, who know the gospel. I'm amazed by how many people I know who are struggling in different sins, in different areas, yet no scripture. I'll go to tell them something. and They'll quote it right back at me. And like, how can you know that in my side, in my head? I'm asking, like, how can you know this and yet not not follow it? And, and Paul gives the answer because they got a head knowledge, but they ain't got a heartfelt. And until you get a heartfelt, you can be you can be walking around like you can see and be blind as a bat. Or you can be walking around like you can't see and be have the best sight ever. Right. He, hear me, because here's what I think we think sometimes we come to church. And here's here, here's what scares me, I guess I should say, especially nowadays. Right. You don't need a new fact about Jesus. 
When you see posts and you see quotes and all that stuff, and you're like, oh, pastor going to bring something good today. You don't need that. I'm not, Paul's not bringing anything new to the table. Nothing new to the table. You, you think it like, oh, I, I, just, I just need a little bit different explanation or a little bit different illustration or, or I just need to get that, that missing piece. No. No, basically, you like the Grinch whose heart is strong and you need the spirit to come inside of you and enlarge it quickly in three days. I think that's how the thing goes from that. Am I right? Who knows the, the Grinch story, right? I think it was three days. Whatever. Or three times in one day. That's what it was. Ha-ha. How come none of you mamas was helping me out right there? Y'all know I was struggling up here. Huh? Think about it, though. Some of you think, well, well I'm, I'm getting bored with it. I don't have a passion with it. I'm going through the motions. How many times you read your Bible? How many times you pray? You say, well, I, I don't feel nothing when I worship, right? He, hear me. Hear me. Paul, Paul said, and, and maybe this is why we do this. We do this because superstars in our world, like they reinvent themselves all the time. You ever notice that? Like they'll, they'll change and come out at halftime. So they got to change outfit 62 times for a, for a 30 minute concert to, to reinvent themselves every time they come. Jesus ain't got to be reinvented. He's everlasting, ever sustaining, ever satisfying right now. Like he don't need a change of outfit to get you excited about him. Right? He just needs you to understand what he's done for you. He says, I want to enlighten the truth in your heart so that you know. He's like a well. What good does it do if you need better water to dig it wide? All you got is a good mud pit then. What does it say with a well? You got to dig deep. Right? Some of y'all in the country know what I'm talking about. Like you got some stinky water. You probably need to dig a little deeper. Or you need a better something. I don't know what you need, right? <laughs> Think about it. Larry Crabb says this. He's a, uh, he's a Christian counselor. He admits that he's discouraged and overwhelmed, just, just feeling bad, in a bad moment. Yes, Christian counselors go through bad moments too. And, and here's what he says. I love this. You kind of called us in it. He's, he calls it an admission in his, in his article. He says, what I know has been true of me. God, you're all I have, but I don't know you well enough to know that you're all I need. You ever been in an area where you can say, God, I know you're all I, I got? But you ever been dumb enough to not know he's all you needed? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I got a real good friend right now struggling with COVID. Struggling. Like, like he ain't never asked me for no prayer other than one other time. Text me this morning about it. I'm like, man, you, you got him and you say you got him, but do you know he's all you need? I'm not saying that means he's getting over COVID or under COVID or anything else. I'm just saying like despite a situation that put him in there, he needs to understand that God is more than all you got when he's all you need. And my goodness, before you get to that moment in life, you need to realize the church. Right. Like, like Beth said a minute ago, the best thing you can do is pray. She wasn't saying like she wasn't undercutting prayer. Sometimes I think as Christians, we think that undercuts it. Oh, they just gave me that spiritual answer of all they need is prayer. Prayer is the most powerful thing you can get. Especially if you pray into the power source. We act like power runs out or something. Paul's going to get to that. I'm, I'm trying not to get there too early, but he's going to get there, right? Maybe this is a challenge for you guys. I want to challenge you guys. How many verses was that in the prayer? Well, we got 17 through 20. Really, 17 through 23. I guess you should go through all of it, right? I want to challenge you guys to memorize this prayer this, this year, this, this, this series. Memorize this, memorize these verses. You know, when you're a little kid, you got a, you got a cookie for memorizing. I promise not to give you a cookie. Right. I promise to clap for you. I promise Jesus to do something special through you. Right. Like why you need. Why should I have to motivate you to do something you need? Right. Does that make sense? 
Memorize this prayer. For the vast majority, and I, and I tell you like this, after reading it and looking over it for the last last few weeks and and, and, and really diving into it, I, I think like this, this is actually what I pray for myself. It's what I pray for my wife. It's what I pray for my kids. It's what I pray for you guys as the church. It's what I pray for some people outside the church, right? Like I, I want them to get a clear, highlighted understanding, enlightenment of what's going on. So pray this thing. Pray this thing over other people. Pray this thing over your kids. And here's four things you don't get out of it. I know some of y'all just had like your heart drop to your stomach and you're like, hold on. All that was the intro. We just now got to the points. Yes. But the good news is the points are shorter than the intro this week. Number one, verse 18. Here's what Paul specifically prays for us to see. The certainty of our hope. Look at what he says in the beginning of 18. I pray that you may know, know what? Know the hope which he has called you. Right. The Greek word for hope, by the way, talking about all these these words that are really break hard. The Greek word for hope is poorly served in English. Like English, we got like, I hope the Gamecocks are going to have a good season. Well, I am a true loyal fan because I've been hoping that for my entire life. Right. Huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Only thing I got, boys, when my wife says you're going to be loyal, I can tell I'm a Gamecock fan. You know, I'm going to be the most loyal person you ever met. but, But but that's in English. You know, that's in English. You're, you're hoping, you're not sure, but you hope something to happen. Right? Like, I I hope I get a raise, or I hope this car happens. You know, whatever it is. Biblical hope, by contrast, changes it. So when you get into the Greek, it's not something that you're unsure about. It's something that you're, 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 um, you're anticipating to happen. See how different that is? You're not really anticipating that the Gamecocks are actually going to win every game this season. You're just hoping it. Right? You remember past seasons. Ten years ago, we beat Georgia. What's up? You know what I'm saying? Like like eight years ago, we beat Alabama. What's going on? Right? Like, you know it probably ain't happening again, but you hold on to that. Right? Biblical hope, though, that's the assurance. Like, it, it reshaped your entire outlook on life because you look forward to it with anticipation. Right? Like, you, right, this is going to happen. I can't wait for this to happen. It, it's like birth getting ready to happen. Like, you know something's coming out of there, right? Like, you, you're you excited, and, and you're ready, and, and, and then, boom, when it happens, it hits you, you're like, oh. you know, you can't describe it anymore. Like, it, like it, it, it has enlightened you that much. And what Paul is saying, and we can be certain it's going to happen, going by what he said last week is, is what he said. God's going to finish what he started. Why? Because he's going to make you holy and blameless before him in love. He's going to reconcile to you. He's going to fill you with him. And you can be certain these things are going to happen. Why? Because he chose you before the foundation of the world is what it said. And what I love about that more than anything is this. That means there's nothing I did to get picked, which means there's nothing I can do to get kicked out. Right? It works both ways. Now, he can spank me. He can punish me. But I ain't getting kicked out. Right? It changes how we look at our pain. We, we talked about that earlier. When you have this kind of biblical hope and enlightenment, like you see, you see the struggle different. You see pain different, right? It enables you to overcome temptation. If you're somebody right now who's saying, like, like I, I, I've never been able to overcome this sin, it's because you've never been enlightened for how much God has hope in you. Because as long as you're trying to overcome temptation with, 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 with fear and worry, you, you'll mess up. You can overcome temptation to sin when you're more excited about what Jesus has in you than what the sin has in you. Right? Because the reason you stumble is because you're like, oh, it's going to feel good for however long. But that's good. It ain't going to feel as good as Jesus feels for eternity. Right. Here's the next thing he prays. The next thing he prays is this. Verse two, he says, our worth to God. Th- this was awesome to me, by the way, guys. I've read Ephesians. I don't know how many times and I never fully caught 
what's going on right here, right? He says, I pray that you may know, pray that you may know what? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you know your own treasure? I ask that because because after you realize what's going on in this verse, I had to go back and, and put this above it. Because some of us get so busy seeing what's good about other people that we don't see what's good about ourselves. Now, I'm not big on having a, you know, a, a, a big old moment on, man, you just think better of yourself and you'll be better. That's not what I'm saying. I just want you to think what Jesus says about you. I don't need you to think better about yourself. I need you to understand what God says about you. And what God says about you is this. Because what you what I wrote down, the first question of the story, what is his inheritance? He ain't talking about my inheritance. It ain't what the verse says. Paul says, I want you guys to understand his inheritance. Well, I'm going to be honest. I think Paul got a problem going the first time I understand it. Because I'm right. I'm like, how can God have an inheritance? He created it all. He owns it all. Right? And I'm going a little deeper and it kind of highlights something that happened this week that I'm, I'm trying my hardest to hold on to for just another another moment or two right here. Just because I'll lead it as right. But, but, but as he's writing this, and it kind of sounds like a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo, right? The glorious of your inheritance to the saints. Right? But here's what's awesome. Here's what's all. You're, you're ready to buy a rich person a gift. Nobody? Y'all ain't got no rich. Y'all need to find some rich friends. Right? I'm telling you, like, you can, you can mooch off of them. It's good. Right? You ever had to buy, like, somebody a gift who maybe ain't rich but can buy whatever they want? You know, within reason? That's a struggle for me sometimes. Like, man, how, like, I hate buying my parents gifts. Like, what do I buy them? They old, they retired, they buy whatever they want. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they want it, they go get it. Right? One day the boys is going to make it to the beach house and, and we buy you one of them if they make it big. Right? And then we'll give you something you couldn't get on your own. Right? But until then, you know, you got to worry all the time. What do, you, what do you give God as an inheritance who created it all? Look at what it says. Look at what it says. So awesome. So awesome. The answer is you. You are the inheritance of God. What? Yeah, I, I I will sit right here and repeat it over and over until I see it catch on to you. I promise you I will. It don't bother you. So you can fake it till you make it, or, or you can just let it get you, right? God give them spiritual insight because I will stay right here for a long, long time. You are the inheritance of God. Right? Five of them's faking it. Let's get about 15 to fake it and I'll move on. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you got to get this, man. Because what it's saying is the God who created every... Do you understand, like, if God really wanted to, he could have wiped the slate clean and started back over with creation? Have you ever gathered that idea in your head? But instead, what did he choose to do? He said, I'm going to go shed my blood on Calvary for them. I'm going to buy something that I made because I made it, but it ain't mine because I gave it free will. And, and the only thing God wants is you. And he was willing to pay for you with blood. The only thing he wanted in Kings from Hezekiah, from people, what Hezekiah, he said, I only got but one thing to offer you, Lord, worship. You take me out, you're going to have one less worship. God said, I'll give you 15 more years. By then, somebody else would be worried. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 think about it. And it's not like he can't get worship either, church. Make sure you understand. Because what did, what did, what did Jesus tell the Pharisees when they was mad? They said, you better tell the people to stop. Jesus looked at them and says, what? I can tell them to stop. And then the rocks will start crying out. It ain't like he can't get worship. It's that he wants worship from you. We did the series, uh, uh, what, a 
three weeks ago. Well, I guess the beginning of it was, was almost a month ago. But we did that series, and this fellow was talking about like the, the whales making noise and the stars making noise and rocks making noise and all of this noise. And all the creation was worshiping him, which Scripture says will happen. Every time I watch it, I'm not letting no whale, no rock, and no star steal my worship of the Lord. Right? Because what he said, he don't even write about wanting their worship. Nowhere, read it. There ain't nowhere in scripture where he says, I wish the star would make a louder noise for me. Nope. Ain't nowhere in there where he says, I wish the whale would moan louder for me. Nope. I wish the rocks would. Nope. He says, I wish my people. I wish my people. Don't even say you got to be loud. That's what blows my mind about it. Like, it ain't like God's deaf. Like, I think sometimes y'all think God's deaf, so y'all yell louder when you're mad at him. You ever watch somebody when they're in the middle of a real prayer and, and they break it? Now, I'm not, I'm not committing it. I think it's great because you finally let your emotion get you with the Lord, right? And your honesty's coming out. But you ever watch them sometimes when they be getting loud with Jesus? Like, you got to scratch your head. Like, you don't think he heard you already? Right? But I think it's good. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But it, on the inside, when you look back at it, I've been there. I've yelled real loud at him. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we've had some moments. You can deepen your relationship when you have some moments with somebody. Right? So I've had some moments with him. Right? But now I sit back and I look, and I'm like, that was so weird. You know, you know, that was just, that was just weird. Like, God, it ain't like he needed me to talk louder. What, what does he say to him? He said, if, if my people would just get humble and seek me out. If my people would, would, would just cry out with, 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 with their heart. You noticed it? Man, even when he writes about it, he's like, they got all these sacrifices and all this stuff going on in other areas. He goes, it smells like stench to me. Because it's fake. What I want is a real relationship with my people. And you're worth your worth. Don't you ever let nobody tell you, you ain't worth nothing. From a godly perspective, guys. Don't get your high horse up and think you worth something because you can bench press something or you got a bunch of dollars. You got bigger tires. You got a bigger truck or whatever. You know, that crap is going on right now that makes you cool. Right. Don't think that your worth, according to the Lord. Is that you are his inheritance. He's crazy about you. Man, if you don't get that, you just need to pray for your eyes to be open the rest of the service. You ain't got but a few more minutes, but pray it the whole time, right? You, you, you know, to create everything God created, it cost him nothing. You ever thought about that? Earth. Water. Stars. Trees. Animals. People. Everything he created cost him nothing. But to save that which he loved cost him everything we gather how deep and how how, and think about it this way here's what really blows my mind now that you kind of think crossing and what it cost him hebrews 12 2 says what he did it with joy scripture talks about a few people doing some really weird stuff with joy right it says that for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame that means that jesus hung on the cross and they spit on him, they beat on him, they hurt, you know, everything that you can imagine that they did that Paul's been going through in chapter two. There was joy in his heart because he knew what it was going to do. I think Paul writes about this and he writes about it here because if you remember, Paul's always going back to this one guy. They went to stone and it says when they tied, they, they stoned him and they tied him up and they caught him on fire. And Paul's back in the background. That's all we know. Like he he's not hands on. He's just commander. Right. And it says that as he sat in the background, he looked and this fellow was like smiling. And Paul never forgot that. 
Paul never forgot that he was killing somebody who wouldn't renounce Christ. And while he was dying on the stake, the dude was just smiling and worshiping. That's craziness, guys. That's craziness. That's like Jesus hanging on the cross with joy for us. That's like Isaiah 53. Here's what's awesome. It says that when Jesus looked from the cross, you got to love when you get a picture of something that's about to happen, right? Before it happens, and then he's looking forward. To, am I making sense? Isaiah is here. Crucifixion is here. But Isaiah is talking about something that Jesus looked at over here. Y'all understand? you got to get it because if you don't get it, it's really weird and crazy. It's like a trippy movie that you're watching. But you don't have to be high to watch it and get it, right? So like Isaiah 53, he's writing. And here's what he talks about 53. He says that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he saw the future offspring. That's us. In case you didn't get it. Maybe that's why I love it so much, right? He saw the future offspring. And then it goes on and says, his sacrifice, the future offspring that his sacrifice would produce, and he was satisfied. That means Isaiah talking about something that's going to happen here that he saw over here. And right here, Jesus was like, oh. Wow, yeah, now you're getting it. Four of us is going to leave here excited today. It's getting better. We better go to lunch, right? This is the hour of the greatest trial, right? And you're God's living hope. Y'all, y'all ever been in a bad moment? Like, don't, don't say what it is because people are judging you in church. That's what they do, right? So, so like, like you ever been in like a bad moment and you had to think of something to get out of that moment? And you ain't got to sound spiritual. Just be honest because you in church. You didn't think of God. You didn't think of Jesus. You thought of your spouse. You thought of your kid. You thought of your mama. You thought of your daddy. Right? You were shoplifting something. And you said, I better put that back because my daddy going to beat my tail. Not that my kids ever should love that. They're not going to either. You know what I'm saying? Right. Put that fear of the Lord in them first. Right? So, so, so you, got that, you got that moment going. Here's what it says. It says that Jesus was going through his greatest trial, the cross. And Isaiah is writing that he's looking forward to seeing future offspring. That's us. He's thinking of you while he's in his greatest trial. That's how crazy God is about you. Wow. What? Man. Paul says, when you see how precious you are to God, it'll totally transform your life. It should. Later in Ephesians 3, what I, what I love about Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he does this a couple other times, not quite as blatantly as he does in, in, in this book. But but he pauses as he gets on these theological things and he just stops to pray in the middle of the book. Like, check it out. Ephesians 3, he, he stops to pray a second time. You're like, he's getting wound and he's going. And you're, reading, you're like, oh, he's praying again. <laughs> 18 through 20, it says, Paul prayed a second time. I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What does he want him to comprehend? Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. The length, the height, the depth. And the whip, width of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul is writing this. Now, Paul, Paul was a smart guy. When I tell you, like, he was equipped before he was called, like, he, he was. Like, he, not everybody gets that, but he was. Right? So normally he would write a letter and he read some of his letters. He would write and say, I, the apostle Paul, am telling you what to do and what to believe. That's the authority he had. Rightly so. Rightly so. But that's how he would write when he gets to Ephesians three and he breaks out into this prayer. I don't know if you get it, but Paul kind of like loses his words. Think about what he's saying right here. He's like, I want you guys to be able to to, to comprehend. I want you to I want you to be able to I want you to be able to understand the love of God. He's like, I don't even know how to understand the love of God, because what does he say? Here, here's what's crazy about it. This is what I love. Right. 
He says, I want you to know that which surpasses knowledge. Now, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm going to go like in the scheme of, of, of Paul's smartness and my wife's smartness and some of your smartness. I am low, low on the totem pole, right? But I sit here and, I, and I'm smart enough to figure out how in the world am I going to know something that surpasses knowledge? You know what I'm saying? Like if I wrote this paper, my proofreader, Crystal, would have told me, you can't turn this in like this. This is a, a double negative something other not making sense kind of thing. I don't know what she'd call it. She'd call it something fancy, right? Don't interrupt my sermon. This is my time. Right? Oxymoron. Right? So, 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 cause I'm a moron. Did you call me a moron in church? She called me a moron in front of all of you. In front of the whole world that's watching online right now. Man! I'm not in trouble no more. You want to go back and hear what I wanted to say earlier? <laughs> Think about it though. Here, here's what he's saying. And he even describes it. So, so let, let's do it in order. I don't want to, I'm sorry, man. I get, I'm still on time. This is awesome, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't want to get too far here, but here's what he says. He loses his words and here's what he says. I want you to understand how long God loved you. Now, this is Ephesians 3, so he's got about, it's all the same letter. So, so if you were reading this letter, you'd look back to one. They didn't have numbers. You'd look back to the beginning of it and he would tell you what? God loved you before you even made. God loved you before the earth was made. Right? And he's going to love you long after. So from, I don't know if there's an eternity this way and an eternity that way, but that's what he's saying. Right? That's how long God's going to love you. Before the foundation of the world, I love you. How high is God's love for you? Well, Paul being a studious student of Scripture and talking to a church people who probably would have as well, they probably would have referred back to Psalm 103. At Psalm 103, it says that God will love you as high as the heavens. This, this is so cool if you've never grabbed this concept, guys. As high as the heavens. Somebody tell me how high the heavens are. Come on. I looked it up. I looked it up because I wanted a number. I'm a number guy. Currently, the Hubble telescope is sending back infrared images of vape galaxies more than, everybody, y'all know more than? And less than. Y'all understand it? More than, is that right? More than, can't have fun learning how much God loves you. There's something wrong with you, right? Hubble telescope sitting back, faint galaxies, more than 12 billion light years away. Oh, don't be wild yet. One light year I learned last month is 6 trillion miles. Somebody get a calculator out. One of you young people with your smartphones. Come on, pull it out. You're not in trouble. I don't care what your mom and daddy says. I pull rank up in this place. Right? Right under the Lord. <laughs> But he said it's okay, too, because it's a sermon illustration. Six trillion times 12 billion. Oh, it's going to be awesome, brother. Just wait. Don't mess it up, you young people. You better get you one of them fancy calculators to do it, right? You ain't got to turn it. Zeros ain't going to come up. It's going to have a little number up there. If you ain't multiplied this in your phone by now, you're going to fail high school. I'm telling you right now. Like it was just a couple numbers, times, couple numbers, go. What you got? Y'all holding up the whole church. What is it? 
Oh, you got to tell me how many. I go with it. I like it. 72 with a trillion billion zeros. One of y'all going to figure it out in a minute. Y'all going to be smart enough to use that thing that you call your smartphone. And it's going to give you a, a, a number beside it. I don't have mine with me. But it's going to say something to the whatever power. I just can't remember what it is because I was too dumb to put it in my notes. So we'll all be dumb together, right? What is it? You got it? It would have been so awesome if you got it because you'd have blown their generation out of the water. You know what I'm saying? Like you would have ranked for the seniors. Anyway, a 12 billion trillion, what do you call it? Billion trillion zeros behind it, right? Y'all, y'all want to know what, what else the article says? It says that that telescope ain't done finding the end yet. They ain't found the end of the depth of God's love for you. Right? Now, here's what I got to think on, on the inside, guys. When Psalm 103 was written, let's see if any of y'all can go where I go with it, right? When it was written, what did these guys normally do during the day or for a career or whatever? Like what? What would be somebody who had saw the most? What did they do? What? Watching sheep. I'll go with that. Yeah. All right. What else? So you see the height of the mountains. And if you're watching sheep fish, so you're on the water, you think about the depths of the ocean or you would think about it. You know, what about guys with ocean with, uh, with big vessels that travel? Why looking at stars? Why though, if this is what you do and they never did find, and we all know they still ain't found some areas of, of the earth yet, I think it's still hidden out there, right? So they, they're making all these journeys and they're doing all this stuff. And these guys, they look up to the stars. Why did God inspire them to write about that instead of the size of the globe or the size of the world? Or why? Because in 2021, some dumb old country boy was going to Google what the Hubble telescope was finding. And he was going to find a phrase that said they still ain't found the end yet. And God knew that. You know what I'm saying? Like if he just said as big as the earth, eventually we said, well, God's love got an end because it's as big as the earth. And then we'd have been mad because we'd have been like, what's bigger than earth? Jupiter? Jupiter. What'd you say in church? Jupiter. <laughs> You'd be like, why didn't he love me as much as Jupiter? Right? Like you, you, <laughs> you, you went over with all kind of stuff, right? I told you I was still getting drunk with the matter. Right? Like, like what? But God, God inspired, listen to me now, God inspired David to write this thing while he's out there tending to his sheep, not to look at the mountain, not to think about the boats he had been on and fishing that his other brothers did. He wrote him to talk about the end of the galaxy that they still ain't found. That's God inspired, man. That's good stuff. That's good stuff, right? How, how, how wide is God's love for you? There's, there's no atom that, that, that measures it. How, how deep is God's love for you? Well, it said that he would reach down in the filth of sin in the grave of hell itself and pull out his treasure that he loves. So I don't think there's nothing too deep either. Right? Like, are you understanding? And what Paul is saying is like, this love surpasses my ability. I, I can't, I can't understand it, right? Look at the contradiction in the verse. I want you to know the love that surpasses knowledge, right? How can you know something that you can't know? You experience it. You experience it. Nobody could tell me how much to love a kid until I had a kid. Nobody could tell me how much I would love my wife until I had my wife. No, nobody could tell you something until you experience some things. And Paul is saying, I, I want you guys' eyes to be open and I want you to experience 
I, w- I want you to want to be real with God in your life. And I, and I want people to, to you ever met people who like look weird and confused, like 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 psycho Christians when they come up with why they believe. I, I want to point this out because when I got real in my relationship with God, this is exactly what happened to me. Exactly. I'll, I'll share it with you in just a minute, but I want you to understand like what I mean. Like I would go to school with people. There's some religious nutcases out there. OK, like and I just be honest, like e- even at religious schools. Right. And, and, and you could ask them like, hey, man, how do you know? How do you know God's real? And how do you know that, that she's the one? And they would come up with answers like this. Well, on our first date, I found out that she was born on May 3rd and I was born on May 11th. And the waiter said that he was born on May 7th. And if you add all those up, that's 21. OK. And if you take 21, that's the perfect number seven divided by the Trinity. And I know Jehovah Jireh was providing for me. Amen. Huh? Spiritual weirdos. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just being honest with you. And even even when it sounds good, like it breaks my heart because I hear people who are on mission sometime and they get asked, how do you know God is real? And they say, well, he's using me. I understand he's using you. I understand that makes you feel connected, but that's not it. What is it is when you go to a a worship service to get a girl's number and a date afterwards and you leave single because you fell on your face flat before on a cafeteria floor at CSU, realizing that the song that said I'm desperate without you and I'm lost without you was talking about your relationship with the Lord. And you've been in church your whole cotton picking life. Right. It's when you just lay there after the fella's even done playing and you don't even know he's done playing and you just wrapped up and understanding that God loved you so much. That he would go to the cross for you instead of just recreating you. That God's so crazy about you that he loved you before he even made the first piece of dirt in Genesis 1-1. Like you've been on God's mind before he created the first thing. That's a long time to be on somebody's mind, right? God becomes real. Not because of a vision and not because of a use and not because of some birthdays adding up to 21 divided by seven times three multiplied by six and Jehovah Jireh and whatever else going, you know, and and maybe in the month you were baptized. None of that crap. Right. God becomes real when you understand how wide, how high, how long and how deep his love for you is. Understanding that God has done for you in Jesus is more important than recognizing what he's done in and through you. You see what Paul's now saying? He started out saying, I'm proud of you guys for what you've been doing. But what's more important than what God is doing through you is what Jesus did for you. Big difference. You don't get it. You messed up. Right. Third thing. I think repentance comes real when you fart, when you begin to understand this, too, because it's life changing. You're not now worried about just hurting God. Uh, uh, because of him being mad at you like you you ever did something for somebody just because like you want them to be happy i'm saying like 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 when when you when when that like i do it with my wife i'll be wanting to do things to make her happy that like she don't even want done and i'm like i'm trying to please you i'm trying to make you happy you know what i'm saying like it make you mad like that that that's how it happens with the lord though in sending in repentance you're no longer like not doing it because you don't want God to smack you on the hand like you doing it because like you want to please the father. You you, you want man. I, I tell you, like, I know God did it on purpose. There are moments where I look back when I play ball and I can look and see my dad sitting in that 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 spot that he always sat in. My mama was there, too, but she just didn't have that power over football that the daddy got, you know, so so that he would look and it would be either a or to be a. 
But I remember the moments of, or a thumbs up, or a fist in the air of, like, that was awesome. I don't know how you hit that guy that hard. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, there, there was the moments, and, like, those are the moments where, like, man, I will run at the dude who is 25 feet tall and 7,000 pounds if I can get that look on daddy's face one more time. That's what happens when we get with God. Like, we do anything to get Abba to look down and give us a, you know what I'm saying? Like, can you imagine getting a thumbs up from God? Right? 20 years later, 30 years later, however long it's been since I played ball, I'm still excited about a thumbs up from my daddy. Right? How cool would it have been to get a thumbs up from God? Man, I could go again. I mean, third thing Paul says. He says, I want you to, uh, he says, I pray. I pray that you may know. This is the power of God at work in you. That the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of the great might he has, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, this gets me back on, like, I don't even know what was said at the shop. I, don't, I really don't. Like, I get moments like, I don't know if you guys get that. Like, maybe it's just my messed up head. Like, I'll get moments where God will give me something, but I don't know what happened to, to get me there. Right? But, but this is one, because something was said that made me realize, like, if I, if I was to describe, here, here's where it is. I got to be honest with you guys. If I was to describe, and I wanted to share, like, you to understand the power of God, I would be describing creation. It's why I'm big on these videos we did. It's why, like, I think when we think about the universe and, and the numbers that the youth weren't smart enough to type into a calculator and, and figure out, like, it's why that stuff just bought, like, well, creation is awesome, right? You know, I can create. I can. Think about it. I'm serious. Can you create? Can you create something? If you ain't got a woman and create something in the kitchen, you're in for bad shape, right? You can create. I can create. So what makes creation so important? You could go in and say, we well, created something out of nothing. Right? I, I, I even wrote down some things. Right? I, I said, well, God created 3,000 billion trillion stars. Right? And I don't know if you guys know this. This is cool, right? The same energy is in one star, has enough energy to do a trillion megaton atom bombs every second. <laughs> yeah, what? cool stuff right there, man, right? That's why I think creation's awesome, right? These stars, there's some so big in just our galaxy, the Milky Way, right? Like like this numbered star that I don't even have time to repeat, right? It's five million times brighter than our sun. And God just spoke it into existence. Like, I'm, I'm amazed by that, right? I'm thinking, wow, like, God just blew the stars into existence. He blew, like, that's power. Paul says that ain't power. Power is resurrection. Because you can create, but you can't bring something back from the dead. Right? So much so to remember what we talked about, like, like he made sure things was dead before he resurrected them, right? Like he was chilling, drinking a milkshake for four days before he went over to Lazarus and told him to come on out. And it wasn't because he wanted to hurt his little sister's feelings about the emotions she was going through because he went with her for her and the emotions she had. It was because he wanted to make sure everybody knew he was dead. Not partially dead, not kind of dead, not almost dead. I love it. Even science to this day won't talk about no resurrection from the dead. If you've been not breathing for 45 minutes and somehow a miracle does happen and you come back, they will say there was something deep down inside that was still alive that we just found and rejuvenated. Right. But science also says oh, the Damascus Road experience. This is cool. Science also says that a lightning bolt proves everything that happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Now, that's cool because I ain't never seen a lightning bolt talk. You know, 
Right? Just throwing that out there as I read this week, right? So creation may bring life out of nothing, but resurrection brings life back from the dead. Here's why Paul's saying it's so important. Here's why it's so important to us. God not only has the ability to make something out of nothing, God can take a nobody and make him somebody. What Paul's making sure we get is that even when it looked like the enemy had won and everything was all over, like God's plan had still been working all along the way it was supposed to. And he pulled it back from the dead, right? That's good news. Because if God can bring Jesus back from, from death, he can certainly bring back some healing from the messes I've been in. And maybe some of y'all been in, right? And, and this blew the mind of the, the, the Ephesian believers. Why? Because we talked about it last week. Don't forget, in the middle of what they're going through, they're hated right now, guys. They're not in good territory. They met, right? But God is saying, what? I'm working in every situation to protect you. You know, one of my favorite Old Testament stories we did a, a, a while back is, is 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, you got Elijah and you got, you got his army and they're down in the valley. Right? You remember it? And the enemy comes. Now, I don't know why Elijah was dumb enough to put all his men in the valley, knowing there was wars getting ready to happen, but he did it. That's beside the point. I've done some dumb stuff, too, and don't know why I did it. Right? So, so, so it says, it says Elijah and his men, they looked up, and they saw all the armies surrounding them. Right? And you remember what it said? It says, what would they do? Oh, come on. you got to remember. What did they do? They prayed, because prayer is important. Right? What they pray? God, help us out. Same thing you would pray if you were surrounded by somebody. What does the answer say, though? Here's what's real big. It ain't, it ain't big that they got surrounded by an enemy. It ain't big that they prayed. That's all common knowledge, right? Here's, here's the big thing. What does it say happened? What, what did he say? Big word. It said that, and the Lord opened their eyes, and then it said what they saw. Now, when their eyes was open, what did the verse say they saw? An angelic army surrounding the other army. Here's why I love it. Here's why I love it. It didn't say God brought an army. It said God opened their eyes to see the army. You realize the army was already there surrounding the other army. They just had to have their vision expounded so that they could understand. They needed spiritual enlightenment. They needed some insight so they could see what was going on. Now, now here's where I even love it. It's got to get deeper because I got to be honest. When I read that the very first time, I'll never forget it. I was, I was like upset. Cause I, I'm kind of like, I get into like this battle planning kind of thing. Just, just like fun. I, I think it's neat, right? So I'm like, if God wanted to do something cool, what he should have did. <laughs> you know, you were a moron when you tell God what he should have did, right? But God will give you spiritual insight if you're willing to dig deep with him, right? So I said, what he should have did is he should have brought that army in between the armies. Like if I'm in the valley, and I'm praying, I want to see that army surround me so that the enemy can't get to me no more. Am I right? Y'all brave enough to be honest about it? Right? But instead, God won't open their eyes to see the army outside of the other army. Which a spiritual lesson is this then. The truth be told, you're going to go through some battles. You're going to go through some hell on this earth, straight up. Right? You're going to go through things you don't like, that you don't enjoy, that are flat out miserable. But you better have your eyes open to realize God's got a greater army around it to make sure it goes the way he wants it to go. What? That's awesomeness, man. It's good stuff. That's why it's one of my favorites, right? Like it's, it's just there. And I don't even know where we're at in the book of Ephesians right now because y'all don't got me way off. <laughs> Let's find somewhere to pick back up. Man. I guess I'm just trying to say that all things in our lives, even the bad things, even the crosses work out for his good. Not your good, his good. I ain't going to lie to you. It ain't for your good sometimes, right? It's for his good. 
But he's got good plans for you. So then I guess it is, right? And it's seen at the, Paul saying it was seen at the cross. Like the, the greatest moment where it looked like Jesus had lost. And he was really just performing his purpose to fulfill our salvation. Right? Check this out. It goes, it goes a little deeper, right? Here's what God's doing in pain. He says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Here's what Paul writes a little later. And all these things, we are more conquerors. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Wow. He's saying nothing. Nothing can separate us. Not even death. Why? Because power resurrection. Right? Resurrection power. Last thing. Verse 22. The finale of Jesus' rule. Verse 22, it just says, and I pray that you would see that he puts all things under his feet. And gave him his head over all things to the to the church. Man, that sounds important, right? The battle's already won. G- Jesus is, is securely on the throne. Y- y'all watch, y'all watch any TV dramas? You ain't got to tell me which ones, because I don't want you to feel like less holy than other people. But some of y'all watch like certain shows maybe you shouldn't watch or maybe you should watch. I don't know. But like when you watch them, they got like these these little things at the beginning, little clips or little things at the end or a commercial. If you still got old school TV where you got to dig through commercials. Right. But they, they got those moments where like you see clips from the future episodes. Right. You, you ever watch one where like your hero died. But then you saw him in a commercial. <laughs> right. Like somebody died in the episode. But then like if you if you watch a Netflix like you stayed up long enough to watch like the last 30 seconds where it said, and next time on, and they showed it, and that person was there. You're like, ah. Paul does the same thing. You see, y'all, y'all read about this resurrection right here, and what he's saying is like, yeah, it looked like Jesus had died. But he comes up again in Ephesians. Read Colossians, Jesus is in there. Read Hebrews, Jesus is in there all the time. And when you make it all the way down to Revelation 22, Jesus is still there, right? Because he saves the day, he wins, right? And that's what I love, man. He's like the the, the long-lastingness of him. But he, here's the important thing I want to make sure we grab as we close out, right? He says, he did this, why? Go, go, go back and read it. He did this, why? Feet and gave him his head over all things to the, what's, what's he over? Church. He ends this section making sure they understand, like, the prize of Abba is the church. Let me repeat it again. The prize of Abba is the church. I repeat it because why is the church not important to you if it's that important to him? And I ain't talking about the idea of just coming here every Sunday, by the way. I think it would blow Paul's mind if he was to think we only gathered once a week together. Some of y'all think, well, I come on Wednesday. Or yeah, some, here's funny. Some of y'all be thinking about Wednesday, but you don't even come on Wednesday. You're just trying to say that the church is open twice a week. Right? How about Sunday school? Right? Say, well, my class ain't started. They had a class this morning. You too good to join one class because your class ain't here? It ain't that important to you? Huh? Well, I, 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 I work. Well, come dirty. We got a shower upstairs. This is all remodeled now. It looks nice. You can shower at it. Huh? We got deodorant in one of them closets. You can have some of that just put it on. I don't know. Here's what I love, man. Here's what I want to make sure you get. The focal point is the church. Because in our minds sometimes we'll be like, I, and, and, and if I was Paul too, if I was Paul's people in Ephesus, I'd be like, what, why is he not head over Rome? 
Why is he not head over Washington, D.C.? He's head over to church because what? He is the head of the church and we are the hands and feet of his body. Right now, he's over all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But he's saying my number one concern is the church because the church has a job to do it. And if Jesus died for the church, why aren't we more devoted to it? If he shed his blood for the church, shouldn't we be investing some time and energy into it? Shouldn't we be willing to get involved with it? Shouldn't we make it part of ours? Important things, right? That's what Paul's getting on. And if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, then the resurrection of Christ must be the supreme demonstration of his power. And that's what Paul's getting. He goes, I want you to understand the, the power. And the power doesn't come from a crazy good weekend production and a service. The power comes from your eyes being open so that you can see what it is God's doing. The power doesn't come from, from all this knowledge that you've got and spiritual potholes that you've got in. It comes through the, the knowledge of the prayer of the vision given by the Spirit. It's beyond a weekend emotional thing to, to, to soul enlightenment for years. Y'all ever been to the doctor and had to get an eye test? Right, they check it out. Let's do an eye test. If you've been doing the same thing for the last 30 years, and you miserable, eye check. You need to get your eyes fixed. If you've been picking out the same bums today for the last 10 years, eye check. You need to get your eyes checked. Right? Am I making sense? Some of us have been doing the same thing over and over and over again, randomly thinking different results. is good. That's the definition of insanity. Literally. To do the same thing over and over and expect Different results is the definition of insanity. Paul's prayer, my prayer, challenge you to memorize this prayer, is that our eyes will be open so that we can see the love of God, so that we can see the purpose of us. Because you can be good at something, but be good at the wrong thing, right? Sharing with other people, not waiting on somebody else to do it, but understanding the power that's inside of you to go do it, right? And through all that enlightening, Paul's saying, now your eyes are going to be open to see this next theological thing I'm going I'm to throw on you. And he throws more on them. And he throws more on them. And we already said it. Like, then he stops to pray again. And he throws more on them. And he throws more. So if you're in church service or if you're reading scripture and you don't get it, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, stop and pray. Stop and pray. It'll do you no good to keep reading if you didn't get what you're reading. Right? No good. Read a book in school and tell me you didn't get nothing out of it and then take the test. What happens? You fail. You got to stop and go back and read again and read again. With scripture, it's different, though. You got you got extra power. He says, I want you to understand it. So he says, if you don't get it, stop. Ask me to open your eyes and let's go from there. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much, God. God, we're. I don't know about we, God, but I sure am excited to. Hear how important we are to you. Lord, to see your love for us. God, for for Paul's spiritual wisdom to know that sometimes we just got to stop and get back to the basics. That you don't need nothing new, Lord God, to amaze us with, Lord God. We just need to have our hearts open to see how amazing you've been the whole time. God, open our eyes to see that you've got armies all around us. Open our eyes to see, God, they're already present. God, open our eyes. Where we can feel you, Lord God, our spiritual eyes. God, not that we get full of more head knowledge, 
But Lord, that we can we can know you in an intimate way, Lord. Lord, help our hope. The assurance. The assurance of what's coming. God, that we're so sure it's like it's already real. And it's because you promised it because of your words. Lord, make your words more powerful inside of us than anything else the world throws outside of us. God, open our eyes, Lord God. Allow it to go from our head to our hearts, Lord God. And allow us, Lord, to continue to make you happy and proud. In your great name, amen.